Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Join Chris and Drew, two self-proclaimed boost pundits with a lifetime of industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry. Each week, the guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. Welcome to Season 5. Are you good podcasters out there? Welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. What the fuck? Why are you still here? This is amazing. I don't know why are we still here. This is great. We love this. We love you. We love this. Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. My name is Chris Sinclair. I am your co-host on today's episode, along with my, my friend, my fellow, uh, the idiot who talks a lot, uh, Drew Garrison. What's up, guy? Welcome. Uh, it's good to be back. So we had a pretty... We had a pretty abrupt ending to last season where we had a guest lined up to do like our end of year extravaganza. And then um, the day of, in fact, like mere hours before they canceled on us and then we just didn't recover. And then we went into our normal January break. Um, I started a new gig. Chris is trying to keep a restaurant afloat during January, which is no easy task. I also got Um, sick like a month straight. Yeah. And I mean, it just disease was everywhere, but I gotta, I gotta tell you, um, and oddly enough on the day that we, that day that we're going to record again, I'm sitting at good news wine in Sacramento, which I know I've talked about on this podcast before, but it is one of my favorite places. They offer an array of natural wine, but they don't like beat you over the head with it where it's like, it's natural, it's better. Like they just really, Bennett, who's one of the owners of it, just like really legitimately picks good good stuff. And so it's it's a Monday in Sacramento, which means that there's not a lot of things opened up. Now I go there pretty routinely, um, but I haven't been there on a Monday. So I'm sitting down and I'm knocking out a bunch of administrative stuff because I have to meet somebody in an hour. And I'm not talking to anybody, right? I'm just, I'm sipping on my really great uh, wine and I'm, and I'm plugging away on the computer, uh, eating some meat and cheese because, you know, that's just how I live. And um, eventually, after a while, I'm like, there's people, you know, there's people at the bar, right? People enjoying themselves. They're having a great time. This is a great place to go. If you're in Sacramento, go to Good News Wine. And uh, I watch this guy to my left. He does a he does a blind tasting and he gets two out of the three wines correct. And I'm like, good for this guy. He hangs out <laughs> here a lot. Proud of this guy. You know, 30 minutes later, I start chatting with Kayla, the bartender. Chris, she says, hi. I love her. I didn't get her last name, but she says, hi. She knew you. And the guy goes, you're Drew from the Good Bottle podcast. And I was like, I am. That's super weird that you know that. How do you know that? And he goes, I recognize your voice. Which I was like, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard in my life. Holy shit. Um, so then, so I turned to him and you guys can see it, but I'm wearing my Eddie Guerrero new wrestling t-shirt, right? And he goes, had I seen your t-shirt, I would have known for sure because you talk about wrestling all the time. <laughs> I can wear wrestling t-shirts. And I was like, oh my God, this guy legitimately does listen to the podcast. And, um, and his name was Ganesh. Ganesh is actually a home winemaker and he got turned on to our podcast via our good friend, 
and uh, it, it, Tesh from Wines with Tesh, who's oh, done some really fun episodes yeah. with us over the last couple of years. Um, I guess his his wife is really into it. And then one of the other things that Ganesh mentioned was that he has a four and a two year old, so he's able to kind of relate to us on a lot of different things. But um, but Ganesh, like I said, he makes his own wine at home. It's called Avatara Wines. And they have uh, beautiful, beautiful packaging. He really kind of does it just for like himself and for friends and family. But it's really like inspired by different Rhone varietals, which right now, oddly enough, I'm very into Rhone blends and whatnot. So, so we're gonna have Ganesh on, and we're gonna we're gonna pick his brain about why a lawyer would want to make wine at night because that's what he is. Now we have a lawyer that imports wine. By night, our good friend Kelly. Uh, I'm sorry, we have a judge who imports wine. Uh, That's true, and we're not allowed to talk about the fact that she has a wine brand anymore because then it's improper benefits. People might try to buy her wine to gain favor, but um, she—that's true. She is a judge now. Congratulations to our good friend Kelly. Like, holy shit, what a huge deal! But now our new friend Ganesh is making really cool wine. So, um, so Ganesh, thank you for listening. Thank you for actually listening and like and bringing things up to me on the podcast that I had very much so forgotten he had not. And uh, it just is one of those reminders that even though we may feel like we're not talking to anybody, there's at least one person out there listening. I'm curious, and, uh, uh, Ganesh, if you, if you can hit us back on our social media, do you consider yourself like a, uh, a nouveau Roan Ranger? I would. Uh, oh wow! I'd like, I'd like to know this. Is this like a thing that you aim for? A, ho- a home grown ranger, home grown ranger. Yeah. That's a good. No, but that, you remember, deserve, you that was says that. We should give him. I should give him that old wine book that talks about new grown rangers, right? Because that would be hilarious. Okay, Ganesh, that's coming your way. So don't ignore my emails or text messages <laughs> or anything that I'm about to send you. Um, but overall, you know, we're 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 just super grateful that that people give a shit and that, that they want to listen. I mean, and, and really at the end of the day, what this becomes is an excuse for people that we have a tremendous amount of respect for that. And in any other situation, if you just approach someone and said, I want to talk to you, they might be like, you're kind of weird. But when you say, I want you to be on the podcast, they're like, yeah, of course. Like that somehow removes weirdness from the scenario. Um, this, this would not be the case for our guest tonight. I think, I think our guest and I would be like, yeah, Drew, of course I want to talk to you. And, and, um, and I, I will say that as someone, as someone who really prides himself on learning as much as he can about Mexican spirits, I, I just don't measure up at all to our guest tonight. I mean, the things that this person has shared with me over the years and has been willing to share with me. And then just the things that this person has done um, is, is truly, truly uh, incredible. So um, our guest tonight, some might know him as El Sotolero, which I've been taking Spanish lessons. So that's the Sotolero. Uh, He is the global brand educator partner for Noche Luna Sotol. And he is the co-founder of Sotoleros. Our guest tonight, the one, the only, Ricardo Pico. Ricardo, thank you so much for joining us tonight, man. How are you? Pretty good. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, it's always a pleasure to connect. Um, thank you for sitting talked- through Drew's monologue. That was great. That was really nice. <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely good. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's I'm I'm just glad you know that uh, things are catching up that we we're able to talk more frequently after that a two year pause that uh, the world took. So, uh, thanks for having me on on your podcast. Of course, man. So you know to kind of give people some background, you know you've been one of the, I mean I guess pioneers might you know of of Sotol in the United States. Um, you know Sotol is a spirit that comes from Chihuahua and Durango. Um, it's not made with agave, despite what a lot of people want to believe, but with this like desert spoon type plant. Um, it's one of the things that I joke that as soon as you start to think that you know anything about Mexican spirits, just drink some Sotol and get a hefty dose of um, uh, just sobriety because it's so complicated and it doesn't necessarily make sense. But, uh, you know, you've been part of some really influential brands, you know, starting or maybe not starting, but from my knowledge, Clande and then Sotoleros and then the Noche Luna. Now, I mean, what about Sotol that you were kind of like, you know what? Nobody knows about this. I better make a business out of it. Yeah, well, I, I got uh, lucky enough to end up in, in this industry. Uh, I started off as a brewer uh, back in the days, maybe uh, 13 years from now. Um I was exploring fermented beverages. Uh, there was this whole craft mu movement uh, here in, uh, down here in Mexico. And uh, I started there. Then that took me to the alcohol industry, working for a commercial Sotol brand that was just like pretty much opening the market at the time for, for the category. Um, but it was a little different because it wasn't uh, the true depiction of traditional Sotol. I was born and raised in Chihuahua. And uh, as I went back to see my family here in Chihuahua uh, while representing uh, the brand for the US and Canada markets, I found this amazing producers that are spread throughout the state of Chihuahua and uh, making it in different micro microclimates, uh, different weather, different soil, different terroir. And uh, just uh, ended up um, astonished by this uh, uh, beverage and all the different ways of making it and all the different flavors it could bring out and started uh, making brands. Uh, just uh, I felt uh, there, the, there was the need uh, for a traditional Northern craft uh, spirit. Uh, these are very small producers that were at the time persecuted and they were making very small batches in the middle of nowhere. So the, the whole idea was to encompass a brand that would be able to bring these products out to the world, but also uh, by their by commercializing them, uh, being able to bring back some money for them because uh, at the time, I mean, uh, these small producers uh, weren't living off only of making Sotol, but they had to uh, raise cattle, uh, farm, do several side jobs in order to make a living. So uh, a decade after, uh, Sotol is in a, a way, way different. Um, uh, fortunately, it's in a very different path. Uh, but I think uh, we have to learn a lot on how to shape the future of the industry. So 
Uh, I'm, I'm just, uh, we're just learning as, as, as we go and as the category grows. I think that's, I think that's awesome that, you know, it was, I mean, I remember, you know, four or five years ago, I was sitting down with, you know, a mutual friend of ours, you know, Robert Horton, who, uh, who knows where that guy's at now, but, uh, I'm just kidding. I know where he's at, but, um, but, you know, we were, we were sitting there and we were discussing Sotol and we we're discussing these different things. And, you know, basically got to the point where I was like, man, we just got to call Ricardo. And I was in the back of, we were, we sat in the back patio of Jungle Bird in Sacramento. And, you know, you were, you were gracious enough to kind of jump on, you know, a, a, a call with us and just walk us through the the different expressions. And, and, and it's something that like, I think back now where, you know, you always talk about like core memories with kids and stuff like that. Like, I, that's like a core memory for, for my love of this industry was that, you know, somebody would take the time and you would take this time to, to do that. And when, when you talk about small batches, I mean, you know, for, for our listeners at home, I mean, we're talking 60 bottles, 50 bottles, 40 bottles, handwritten on there. Um, you know, the, the product that I was introduced through you was was the Klonde Sotol, which also had this really fun added feature of having the thumbprints of all the mescaleros be, or all the Sotoleros, because at the time, you know, there was, you know, it was kind of like an ode to the past of like, hey, not everybody knew how to sign their name. So what they did was they they put their their thumbprints on it. Um, and I think when you're when you're able to take something like that and you know, bring it to a much wider audience. It's like, you know, could you imagine being a Sotolero in the desert of Chihuahua kind of being like, oh yeah, by the way, my bottle's sitting in a bar in Sacramento. Like that's fucking wild, right? And you enabled that. And I think also, you know, I think it's important to to point out um, because everyone always talks about sustainability and, and stuff like that. But like, you know, you were making sure that those Sotoleros were always taken care of every month even when they weren't necessarily providing you with 60 bottles of things. Um, some might say that's not really the greatest business practice, you know, uh, in terms of production. But, uh, but I mean, what was that like? I mean, you, I mean, obviously you had a great deal of love and respect for the people that you were looking for or, you know, working with, but, um, you know, from a financial sense, because that is one thing that we talk about on this show is that like, Hey, this is a business. You know, like, how do you continue to kind of be like, yeah, 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 like, don't worry, they'll, they'll make something eventually. Like, what's that like going through it from your, from your perspective? Because I know there was a lot of, there was a lot of sacrifices and concessions that you made throughout your career. Yeah, I think it's a symbiotic relationship. I mean, uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't be in this industry if it weren't for the producers. And, uh, and we started, you know, uh, just like, they would sell me 10 liters of the uh, of a batch and I would go out there and uh, get them to the market, come back and buy 20. And it, that's how it started growing. Um, it might not make a lot of sense to uh, commercialize such small batches, but I think the purity, and I mean, if we consider that all these variables uh, are meant to be respected or are meant to be uh, taken into account in order for us to figure out um, 
what the bottle has inside. So for instance, if it's uh, it was made in the winter or it was made in the summer, uh, if you're in the forest, then you might have an ensemble of uh, agave and sotol or dacilirium. Uh, if it's during the winter, sotol fermentation is better in the forest region. So it's 100% sotol. So all those variables tell you the story behind the, the product. Or, uh, and of course, we have a very informative label uh, in order mm. for the consumer to be aware and uh, pretty acquainted to what they're going to taste. So this is more of um, the utmost kind of respect to the beverage because it, for them, it's very hard work too. Uh, so they work with what they have. Uh, they treat their spirits in the best way possible. So it's, um, uh, let's say like the slow food of beverages. So um, for me, it's, it's totally worth it to uh, continue supporting the producers. Even I mean, sometimes it's symbiotic in the sense that sometimes I help them, sometimes they, they help me, and we kind of survive together. That's pretty much the whole uh, concept. And uh, and I don't know. I feel uh, we're a big family. I mean, for me, it's not uh, about a business. Uh, of course, I mean, you have to make some profit in order to continue. But uh, for me, it's a little more about uh, the about a family. I mean, like uh, we go through the good and the bad. Um, in the bad, yeah, of course, you have to be ready uh, for bad things as uh, hospital bills um, or accidents. Uh, and on the good, it's uh, celebrations such as baptisms uh or graduations so we share all of that and uh and we do it together um so far we have a very still a very small industry that we're trying to shape up and uh i think we're growing but very organically i mean we're not trying to grow um faster than we can and I think that's something that we both ends uh, understand. And of course, I mean, as, as the industry is gaining traction, this is going to change eventually. But I think uh, we just need to be very careful on how we do that growth. I mean, I, by, uh, by first, I think it's um, looking after the plant and just uh, every producer um, has to have, um, or we need to have a sustainability program, uh, which means that we're going to migrate from the use of wild plants to the use of cultivated plants. So uh, we already have a lot of uh, research. So um, there, there's a lot of, um, of academics that have grown the plant, have learned how to domesticate it, and uh, we see that it's very feasible. So, um, I mean, and we have both ends, right? I mean, we have the purest uh, end of the industry and we have the commercial aspect. I think, I mean, we can meet halfway, and uh, there should be one side for the other one to pr uh, prevail. Uh, I, I think that's, that's the vision that I have for, for our industry. I, I want to go back. I, um, <clears throat> Drew had mentioned something and I, I think 
our listeners would really get a kick out of it. Can you can you go back and explain sort of the history and the tradition of of the thumbprint how uh, on bottles and like how that dates back? What was used to you know thumbprint bottles? What like held um, you know a little bit more context to to at least what Drew was talking about on that. Yeah. So, um, so when we started the Clan the project, uh, we uh, we wanted. To, I mean, uh, a lot of labels had the signature of the maestro, or in this case, we call them binateros here in the north. Uh, I mean, like uh, the denomination of origin for Sotoles for the states of Chihuahua, Coahuila, and Durango. So, for those three states, we uh, we have the Sotol denomination. Then um, Sonora also uses the word binatero. Uh, even uh, some parts of Jalisco. Um, but um, some of the vinateros uh, didn't know how to write or, or read. So that's why the thumbprint was a good idea for us having a little bit of the heart, the soul, and the credit. I think it's a, a lot about the merit and the credit uh, to these people that has um being the only uh reason why this activity of making the spirit has survived i mean these are gentlemen that were in the middle of the sierra uh running away from the police uh because at the time it was illegal to make sotol so they were moving from one side to the other from one sierra to the other hiding and carrying their stills with them as they moved from one place to the other uh, because this was what they loved doing and because this was uh, also their uh, one of their main sources of uh, living. So, I mean, in order to survive, in order to bring food to the table, they would need to move from one place to the other. This comes also uh, from a long history of our ancestors in the west of uh, the U.S. and the, and the north of, of Mexico where... The native tribes used to cook these plants all together, uh, sotol or lasilirion and agave. Uh, they used to cook in underground ovens, just as the ones we use for uh, cooking, fermenting, and distilling sotol right now. So it's uh, very, very deeply rooted into um, our diet. Into Later on, they started uh, experimenting with fermentation and using that fermented beverage for their religious ceremonies for, and they attributed healing properties to it. Um, so that's where all this comes from. Um, persecution, um, being uh, very, very uh, restricted in terms of um, food, uh, water. Uh, so these are people that has survived under um, terrible, terrible circumstances. And that's why, what the thumbprint represented. I mean, it's the hand of the maker. Um, and what's many times that uh, we sit at a bar and we see all, all, all these bottles, um, as we scan the bar. And I think, uh, um, we have two kinds of bottles. I mean, some of them are companies, nothing wrong with that, but, uh, some of them uh, come from a, way more humble background, which is people that are representing those labels. Uh, so I think a signature, a thumbprint uh, will 
um, enable a conversation between the consumer and whoever uh, put a lot of effort to make that juice that uh, you, you're enjoying at, uh, at uh, the bar or, or restaurant. I think that's I think that's great, and I think the you know what I we were talking a little bit before we started recording about you know I was just in Sonora a few weeks ago, which is another northern state, and um, you know it really helps to visit these places to humanize those spirits, right? Like when you're sitting looking at that back bar, and there's a lot of different things going on, and you know you with Clonde you had the thumbprints with Sotoleros, you have these depictions of the the vinateros right and you're able to see their faces and it's another way to connect with them and and i think um you know one of the things that that i love so much about about spirits from from mexico is that there there is such a deep rooted bond between kind of like the history of those spirits and the people themselves and so what i was hoping that maybe you can expand upon and just kind of like shed some light because if you look at northern mexico in a modern sense um a lot of americans are going to associate it with the cartel with it being a danger place um you know they're going to check their travel restrictions and be like i'm not going there and and all those things and if you look at it from a historical perspective you know when the spanish invaded mexico they looked at northern mexico they're like who the fuck would live there it's a desolate wasteland, right? But you had these hardy people who were doing these things. And and I mean, I guess I don't know where I'm going with this question outside of the fact I just want to highlight the fact that my brethren from northern Mexico are a bunch of fucking badasses. But, you know, like, is there is there anything that you would like to add to to that narrative to maybe like, hey, this is what's misunderstood about northern Mexico. This is what pours into what the Vinateros are doing, what other people in the state are doing to kind of get away from those negative connotations that they had thousands of years ago and then today. Yes. Um, talk, talking about Northern culture, I think uh, we're, um, sometimes I say probably we're closer to Southern U.S., in terms of culture than to Southern Mexico, uh, because mm -hmm. Mexico is too many different cult uh, uh, countries and subcultures, uh, even when we share the same language, but uh, even the native people is so diverse. So here, uh, the North, um, I think uh, resilience is a big part of the formula. Uh, this is people, I mean, the native people had to adapt and survive uh, how? By knowing uh, all the plants that were uh, surrounding them. I mean, we see the Apaches Mezcaleros who used to migrate with uh, their agaves they, and uh, some uh, botanists from uh, the University of Arizona have uh, made, done research that has proved that uh, some of the, these agaves that they were carrying with them share the same DNA structure. So they, they're pretty sure that they were carrying the plants with them as they move uh, from, from one place to the other. So uh, we, we certainly know that uh, they have a lot of knowledge on all the plants that were surrounding them. And um, I think that's, that's a very, very important part of the, of the formula. 
Um, these are resilient people that got to know their, their surroundings so well that they were able to adapt and survive to uh, these territories. Um, and I think uh, uh, this whole um, time that I've been uh, in the industry and uh, our, the level where we are right now in general, in terms of Sotol, we're kind of a, an anthropologist trying to reco reconstruct the history of this beverage, uh, which goes uh, hand in hand uh, with um, our food or, you know, um, we, um, the, the Northern Mexico has had a very, very important role uh, on Mexican history. We had the Mexican revolutions sprouting uh, here. Uh, before that, we had the independence movement and the father of the independent, independence movement being uh, shot and killed uh, here in, in Chihuahua. So Chihuahua uh, or the North in general has been very well known for being this kind of isolated area where things would ironically happen. So I, I think uh, um, it has a lot to do on how this whole Sotol industry and even Bacanora were so well kept outside of the scope of Mexican spirits in general. So um, I would say that some of that has been inherited. Uh, a, a lot of this resilience Uh, made these vinateros uh, get to where they are today. And uh, most of them are, I mean, as, as, as you were saying, uh, and the, the, these producers that uh, are part of the Sotoleros uh, collective um, have, have been living through, through this uh, history and uh, just uh, have been the keepers Of, the, of this art form of, of, of distilling Sotol. Um, also through Sotoleros, I've been able to find uh, some of the old practices. For instance, uh, a lot of Sotoleros used to collaborate together and uh, they, they used to make batches together and split half and half. Uh, like, okay, they, they made eight layers and one of the producers takes 40, the other one takes the other 40, and they would sell them. Uh, so uh, we were able to bring that back. That's why uh, sometimes on, on the Sotolero labels, you see two producers, uh, which mm -hmm. is an, uh, an old practice that uh, comes from uh, vinateros that would join forces in order to make uh, batches. Um, When you're in the wild, it's difficult to transport because you're in isolated areas uh, getting the plants. Um, not uh, only that, but also it's important to mention that, the, that these wild plants have to be collected by having permits and environmental assessments by Mexican federal authorities. So they go into these ranches, even when they're private property, and uh, they make a census of all the plants that are uh, in in that uh, area in particular. And then you can only take a percentage out in order to keep the growth rate and reproduction rate sustainable. So 
it's a lot of things. It's not, uh, uh, it's not easy to, to make Soto. And, um, I mean, for, fortunately, uh, things are getting, uh, easier in the way that more information is out there in, uh, and that that helps uh, even small producers to have access to what all the requirements are in order to comply with all, all the norms that we have down here. So I think uh, uh, we're at a very um, unique and central uh, state state of the industry where I, I, I just see a bright future for, for, for Sotol right now. Oh, I think that's really exciting. And, you know, obviously there's, there's this really deep history, but there's also this part of innovation that, that you've been a part of and, um, and are going right now. And I think, you know, there might be a couple of people listening being like, is he going to ask, is he going to ask, is he going to ask? Um, and that question is, uh, how does Lenny Kravitz get involved in Sotol? And when you, in, if and when you met him, did he give you a scarf? Like, how does that work? <laughs> so, so we, so you know, so we do have a long, a long history on this podcast of of being, of being pretty critical of you know celebrity endorsed agave products, and I think, um, and I don't think we're necessarily wrong for that. And I remember. You know, when you made this announcement about the partnership with Lenny, which I, I mean, listen, the guy's uber talented, you know, is produced a, some of my favorite songs over the years and, and definitely gets me hyped for a lot of things. But it, I know that it brought a lot of internal conflict for me because I was like, well, what the fuck? Um, here's this person in you, Ricardo, that I have like this super tremendous amount of respect for. And because I can't help myself, I just was like straight up asked you and you laid it out for me and you're like, this is why we did this. This is why we're doing that. And then, you know, and even back then we're kind of like, I'm ready to come on your podcast and talk about it right now when you are legitimately in the eye of the storm. Right. Um, you know, things have since settled down and I think enthusiasts have realized that they're not as big of a group as they think they are uh, in terms of public outrage. But when it comes to taking a product like Soto, which you have now spent the last 34 minutes waxing poetically about in, in history, and then combine it with uh, a celebrity like Lenny Kravitz, who is worldwide known, you know, has a tremendous following. Like, how do those two worlds come together? What do you see as the benefit and then as a skeptic as as both chris and i are i mean like what are you saying to those people who are kind of like you know again what the fuck is this all about you know yeah well um first uh how lenny got involved um i have a long friendship uh with uh ivan saldana uh who's the um, um I think what's his uh, exact uh, title? He's um, chief innovation officer for Casa Lumbre. Uh, we met when he was uh, starting uh, Montelobos uh, Mezcal mm -hmm. back in the days. Uh, I met I met him through uh, Camille Austin Lalova, and uh, we became the three of us became good friends. And uh, he came to see me um, around six years ago. 
and uh, he he just wanted to know a little bit about Sotol. I mean, he just came uh, like on a personal visit to get acquainted and uh, to 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 learn about Sotol. And as we were hanging out, uh, we were in Torreras, uh, which is the town where Don, Don Eduardo Barrieta uh, used to distill Sotol. And uh, a very, very small community. It's 104 uh, inhabitants in uh, the middle of the desert. And um, he, he, he knew what we were trying to do with the Clander project uh, with uh, Don Lalo. And he said, like, I want to help, you know, I mean, like, uh, how can I help? Uh, later on, we uh, continued that conversation, uh, which ended up turning into a collaboration with, with, uh, from Don Lalo and, and uh, Montelobos at the time, or Ivan or Casalumbre. And uh, we didn't know what was going to come out of it, but we were just collecting a little bit of product uh, that was in 2017. Um, so then, as Casalumbre started uh, selling some of these companies, they uh, sold uh, Montelobos to, or at least, I mean, like uh, the 51% of Montelobos to uh, Campari. Then um, they started new uh, projects, uh, so Ojo de Tigre, then Avasolo, the Mexican whiskey. They started uh, exploring and venturing in different uh, spirit categories. Uh, the whole concept of Casa Lumbre is to work uh, with Mexican ingredients and highlighting uh, Mexican ingredients through the spirits industry and bring them out to the world. So as part of that, they started. we started talking about the possibility of making a Sotol brand together uh, through the years. So uh, 2019 is when we decided to uh, actually start a, a facility just for uh, for this project, what we, what did we learn uh, uh, in those couple of years? We learned that it it was uh, probably easier to bring the plant to the people than take the people to the plant, uh, because uh, most of this uh, of our collaborators, which were Don Lalo's family, were. Um, Binateros themselves. I mean, they were people that have always worked at uh, in the Sotol industry. Uh, so they believed in us. They believed in the project. And uh, some of these uh, gentlemen that were with us five years ago, um, just like pretty much in the middle of nowhere, right now are working very close to their families. And um, in this new form of working where we get the plants to our, our vinata, to our facility or, or our distillery. And uh, they can go see them their families at night. It's not, they don't have to go and set a camp uh, for three weeks and then come back. I think it's, uh, we've been learning out of uh, the, the experience, but I think uh, we've been also been learning about the plant. Uh, when you, when you work, um, craft in the, or the uh, in the craft industry it's very hard to measure and when you don't measure uh probably you end up uh losing money you end up uh not being prepared for for being out in the market and many other things so i uh, that's what we've been learning we have in mexico we have very strict uh norms 
um, specifically in terms terms of uh, methanol and um, superior alcohols, which is something that every single country or almost every single country in the world, uh, it's a lot more uh, lean on in, in terms of uh, how strict they are. But here in Mexico, yeah. if, if, if the the whole uh, law and regulations are constructed in a way that the more industrial you are, the easiest is the the easier you're going to be able to comply with the law. So uh, it, it's somehow discriminative in the sense that if you're doing something crafty, you're doing something in small scale. Uh, most probably, you're you're not gonna uh, pass lab tests, and uh, your product is gonna be like in a very iffy uh, area. Um, but uh, well, that was a small parenthesis. But um, <laughs> so, well, so let, then, let me just interject real quick, so so people understand that point. Um, when we talk about methanol levels, the methanol levels that Ricardo is referring to um, would be considered uh, safe if it was scotch whiskey, but because it is a Mexican distillate, there is this unfair standard that's being held to Mexican spirits that does not exist with the rest of the world. So that's what we're talking about with the discriminatory things and, and things like that. So like this stuff is still, you know, per lab testing safe if it was literally any other spirit, but because it's a Mexican spirit, we're not allowing it to come into the country, which is which is really ridiculous and to Ricardo's point, discriminatory of um, Mexico and its producers and things like that. So I just wanted to interject that just so you give some context so that I know you're about to drop some more knowledge. So so sorry, yeah, no, but no, 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 that was go. good, a, a good, uh, good comment. Uh, and also, uh, again, I mean, just to be clear, it's the Mexican law that's restricting you from. Uh, um, doing uh, or meeting these uh, uh, um, requirements, right? Um, so then uh, we started working on the Vinata uh, in Aldama, Chihuahua, which is where Don Lalo also has a home and a lot of his uh, family also has, uh, has a home there. And it's just 20 minutes away from Chihuahua City. It's easier for everyone. And we started uh, up from the ground. I mean, like... Uh, but every single year that we advanced, everything would become a little easier because we, we uh, and I mean, of course, it's the experience, but we uh, built uh, one Binata in 2017, then a new Binata in 2018, a new Binata in 2019. And the one where we're right now, it's the one from 2019, which ended up being the, 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 the right one. Um, so then in 2020, uh, as we had uh, the, the pandemic, uh, we were just trying to survive, you know? I mean, like uh, just trying to keep going, um, trying to preserve the, the team uh, because I mean, like uh, you are responsible then for more families, you're responsible for, uh, it's not only you as an entrepreneur, or uh, uh, or you and the maestro, it's a lot more people involved, and we had to get very creative to survive. Uh, but we, we we did, fortunately. And um, then um, Ivan Saldana and uh, Moy Indi, the uh, CEO of Casa Lumbre, uh, called me, 
And at the time we were exploring names for the brand. We were exploring the concept because they had decided to go for a, a Sotol brand uh, partnering with us. And then uh, they give me a call very excited and they tell me like, oh, well, we have very good news. Uh, something that's going to be a game changer for this industry, for the city of Chihuahua. Uh, it's going to change our whole project. And they told me the news that uh, Lenny was getting involved in the in the project. So how did it happen? So they have some uh, partners there, uh, an agency called uh, Colors, who manage talent and have uh, uh, PR like a PR agency. And they uh, were having a conversation with Lenny and he uh, mentioned he had a lot of love for Mexican spirits and he wanted to get involved and do something. And uh, then is when they made the link with Casa Lumbre and they started conversations. So Lenny made clear that he didn't want another tequila. He didn't want another mezcal. He wanted something different. That's when they uh, sent him a bottle of uh, of uh, the sotol we were making out uh, to the Dominican Republic where he was shooting a movie. And um, he tried it there on the set and loved it. He kind of, uh, I mean, he, you know, like he's a, he's an artist. So he's a, creative, a very creative person. He has a lot of uh, heart, a lot of soul. And so he was just like tasting everyone on set, like, okay, you, you gotta try this. This is amazing. Uh, so he loved it. He uh, uh, went back to Ivan and, and, and the team and told him, I want to get involved. I love this. Uh, what is it? Uh, I Please, uh, I want to know the story. Um, they told him, okay, well, this they because it was unlabeled. Um, and they told him, okay, so this was Otol. It comes from the north of Mexico. Uh, it's made in Chihuahua. Um, uh, by Don Eduardo Arrieta in the desert. And that's when he said, okay, if I'm going to get involved, I want to go there. I want to uh, really get to know their culture, their traditions. Uh, I, I don't just want to be, you know, like someone who puts his signature on the bottle, but I want to be a partner that is uh, not only uh, on the label, but who's also uh involved in the creative process on the profile um on adding something back or giving something back to the community and the Chihuahuan culture so that's when uh, when this whole uh partnership got uh established so it was first awesome castle the northern guys which is uh um alfredo garza ranch owner um, uh, Juan Ramos, another ranch owner, they do cattle here and they got involved uh, uh, here uh, with us producing uh, the, the Sotol. Don Lalo, the Maestro Sotolero, who's an equal partner on the project as well. Uh, Alejandro Lascuen, who's another friend who actually was helping me or pretty much going with me through the whole uh, building of the Binata process. Uh, manage, uh, uh, managing like administrative uh, uh, things. And um, then Casa Lumbre joins and then Lenny and his team join as well. Um, later on in October of uh, uh, 2021, 
he came to visit and uh, he met Don Lalo. He, we ran him through the whole process in first person. And we also uh, shot uh, some materials um, pretty much middle of nowhere in the desert throughout the night. I mean, like uh, we would start uh, at um, 12 a.m. all the way to uh, 10, 11 a.m. Um, so it was long, hard work. Uh, he's a very, very incredibly professional person. And he was very excited. I mean, he really loves the product. He, it's, it's not just like a business venture for him. It's a passion project. And he, uh, whatever he represents, he likes to get involved. And you can, you can really tell. Um, so for him, it was a way to, and he has always said, I don't want to be the, the, the focus or I don't want to be, it's not about me. It is about Chihuahua. It is about its people. It is about Don Lalo and his craft. And that's what he wants to highlight. And I think that's, uh, that that's cool to have. I think uh, we felt, I mean, I don't think we can put all the celebrity uh, involved projects in, under the same um, uh, under the uh, same scope or under the same right. on the same bag, you know. Um, right. I think this is a very different project, um, and he he's just a, a a person that has grown a lot of love for Mexico and and just whatever he gets involved. I mean, like uh, in Bahamas, he does a lot of. Um, of uh, uh, charity projects, I mean, like a lot of uh, humanitarian projects. Um, and I, I think he's uh, it's someone that, uh, although he's a celebrity, world-recognized celebrity, he's very down-to-earth and he just wants to do well for the people and he's connected in such a way or uh, that uh, he just wants to bring out the best of any project he gets involved in. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And, you know, I think one of the... One of the conversations that that Chris and I have had over the years is, you know, like you come to you come to two realizations when it comes to like any type of celebrity involvement in spirits. Um, first and foremost is that there's nothing you can do about it. You can bitch and you can complain and you can make it part of your social media personality, but it just is not going to go anywhere. You're not going to stop anybody from getting involved and making money and things like that. And then the thing that um, the second thing, and I think the thing that really kind of toned me down and I'm sure Chris would agree is like, but then you start to realize that there are legitimate people behind this and just because the celebrity is involved. I mean, now with that being said, you know, I'm still not going to go out and really buy celebrity tequilas and mezcals and things like that, because I, at the end of the day, it's like, I think you're going to be just fine. Unfortunately, in, in most of the cases, like, you know, at least the producer is still being taken care of. What I'm curious about is, you know, you had, or you still have, I don't want to say that you lost this, but like going into it, you have this reputation as, as almost like an industry darling. Like there's just quite literally nobody that has a bad thing to say about you. And we're talking about the fucking internet here, right? Where the internet has something bad to say about everybody and the things that they're doing. And I think that you know, Clonde, Sotoleros, these projects that you really spearheaded were really, really beloved. Um, was there hesitation 
on on your part to kind of know that like hey i i know that if i align myself with this project i'm probably going to piss some people off and potentially ruin relationships and you know like what was what was that process like just for you on a personal level kind of having the reputation that you have and had and all those fun things well you know uh throughout my uh path in the industry or as I've been walking uh, uh, the, this path, I found that uh, um, I think a lot of people mistakenly relate projects to people. I mean, because at the end of the day, I mean, at some point I was, you know, um, how could I say it? Uh, I know not, not really discriminated, but uh, labeled labeled i think it's a better word because i used to represent a commercial uh brand of sotol at the time mm -hmm. uh, but i mean at the end of the day you just need to make a living man i mean like uh, uh you uh, at the end of the day you're trying to bring food to your table as well so i mean i i wouldn't judge anyone uh because of that i mean like regardless if they're making uh million liters of tequila if they're doing well for the employees at the plant if they're paying social security if they're replanting if they're ethical i think there's a right way to do it too um but i mean i wouldn't blame someone even if they didn't uh have all the answers you know i mean like at the end of the day it's hard enough to get a job uh in general i mean like if, if we would select like oh okay This this uh, company I can work for. This other I can't because it's not ethical. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. I, God knows where you would end or how long uh, would you be unemployed? You know, um, right? So I learned that uh, also. Uh, I mean, passion is good, but we have to be smart about it and be empathical because uh, there's a lot of people that I've met throughout uh, uh, um, all this time in the industry that one day are with one company and another day they're in another one. And that's why you don't want to burn bridges. You don't want to mistreat people because I mean, they're not to blame, man. I mean, like they're just trying to make a living. And, uh, I, I, and of course, I mean, like we can have the mindset and the intention of changing things, but that doesn't really mean that, uh, I mean, like uh, you're a bad person, because you work for Patron or you work for, I don't know. I mean, like it, it, it depends on whoever's perspective as well, because I mean, they might throw uh, uh, bad stuff to a company and maybe they're pretty responsible and maybe they're helping out people. But I mean, like if you judge from the outside, it's, it's kind of difficult to uh, be uh, not, not being biased, uh, you know, Uh, so I think, uh, and at the end of the day, I think we cannot please everyone. I mean, I think it's, uh, uh, if you plant it, then, oh, you're, uh, uh, you're, you're building a monoculture and the plant's gonna die and, Uh, and if you're not planting, oh, you're uh, exploiting the land and uh, it's all uh, you're uh, doing catastrophic damage to the environment. So I think, I mean, yeah, okay, let's just 
all starved, you know? I mean, like, uh, <laughs> let's not be... <laughs> because, I mean, at the end of the day, um, there are so many things that are being done uh, wrong by big companies, but, I mean, th instead of thinking, oh, we should cancel everything. No, I mean, let's learn how to, how can we make it uh, in a sustainable way? Okay, how can we, uh, and there's people, uh, uh, for instance, in the tequila industry, uh, we have the the VAT conservancy uh, project. We have uh, we have a lot of good uh, good things going. I mean, organic uh, treatment of the plant. Uh, we have, um, I mean, so many good things that we can. I mean, like in mezcal, for instance, uh, some very cool projects as Proyecto Lam from Real Minero. Um, I think. It, it's a balance. I mean, like uh, there, there will be people that don't care, but all, all the ones that care, I mean, are are gonna force the big ones to follow. You know, so I think uh, uh, even if you get involved with a big company, I mean, it's it's uh, in you to seek to uh, meet all the ethical and. Uh, um, and I would say environmental requirements for, and it's, I mean, if you don't, uh, if you don't do it, I mean, you're shooting yourself in the foot as well. But I mean, for right. me, uh, getting involved was, uh, uh, some of these producers are fourth generation. So for instance, uh, we're talking about producers that are on their late sixties. So they're not getting any younger. And if they, they're, to see the benefit of all these years being persecuted, followed by the police and uh, working really hard to not really have much to for retirement. It just made all the sense in the world for me to change at least one life, you know? And uh, I mean, and that's why I partnered with Don Lalo. And uh, I mean, he has as many chairs as I do in the company. Uh, we, he's, I'm, I'm not, uh, worried about him not earning a good living or a good salary anymore. Um, and I mean, it's not that money solves your life, but it, it really does help. And even when, even more when you're close to retirement, you know? So, uh, in the, in that sense, I, I think the good is greater than the, than whatever bad. And I mean, by meaning the bad might be whatever someone's perspective of what is bad uh, might be, you know? I think, I, think for, I think for most people, the assumption, you know, tending, uh, trending towards the more correct side that, that more often than not, the, the celebrities that are buying in are typically they're profiteering, right? Like they're leeching off of somebody else's hard work. And, and I think that for a lot of people and rightfully so they're a lightweight offended by that. I, I think what you're describing though, for this Lenny Kravitz project is, is that he's more of a, he's more of a megaphone for the product and for the farmers and for the distillers rather than someone who's simply just leeching off of it. Do you think that would be a correct character characterization of that? Yes, definitely. And I, I also think that, I mean, regardless of uh, what happens in the future, 
he, I mean, he's building awareness to a category and that benefits every single one of us. I mean, it's not, and uh, mo most of the time when I talk about uh, Sotol, I don't talk, I mean, uh, that much about my brand because I think it's the category that uh, the one that actually needs the awareness because we're, I mean, if you think of it, um, tequila is near to the 400 liters or already maybe in the four, 400 million liters. Um, then uh, mezcal is uh, probably in the uh, 10, 12 million liters. So total, I, I don't really think it's in, a, in the million, million liter. Uh, there's no way. Yeah. Range. yeah there's no way. There's no, no, way. no there's, so it's not there's even, no way. Not even 10% of what mezcal is. So I think it's important to, I mean, like I, I wouldn't, I think um, there's the need for more investment. There's the need for more um, activity in the, in the Sotol industry, of course, without maybe, I mean, like losing the uh, elements of getting the producers involved and grow with them, you know, through them. I think that's another very important uh, part to keep. But um, I think it, it, it will only benefit the industry because we're learning how to farm. We're learning how to be more productive, how to be more efficient. We're learning to understand the plant better. And uh, at the end of the day, that's, uh, that's going to construct an industry and create a lot of jobs, which are very, very highly needed in a country that has so many challenges as Mexico. I mean, like we, we, we have a lot of um, poverty. We have a lot of uh, challenges in healthcare, education. So, I mean, and I, I, my background's on economics and, and public policy. So for me, uh, these are the things that I actually see. How, how can we use that in our advantage to change communities, to increase incomes, to partner with good companies that uh, are interested in changing lives, giving good salaries, good, um, what do you call it? Like, um, I mean, insurance, giving insurance, giving uh, be benefits. And uh, I think that's, that's what we've been able to achieve with this project. And for me, um, just in the in, in the future, I, I I think that uh, if even if it's not myself, I mean, as long as these producers are better off, uh, I mean, the ones that I work with in Sotoleros, I'll be happy for them because I think that's where we need to get. Well, I'm hoping I'm, I'm hoping that uh, that Lenny can do for Sotol what Paul Mitchell did for tequila. Well, and you know, <laughs> and just to kind of just to kind of wrap this up. You know, Ricardo, I mean, I think this, like I said, it's 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 definitely been a hot button topic for us over the years. And and for me, like the the come to Jesus moment was was really talking about how now, you know, Don Lalo has his retirement taken care of and not only his retirement, but, you know, his his children and his grandchildren are probably going to be OK for a long time. And um, as I progress through this industry and I align myself with different things, it's kind of like, okay, well, 
you know, so often we talk about sustainability in this industry and we talk about sustainability of agave, sustainability of production methods, whether it's, you know, sotol or mezcal or tequila and stuff like that. And, and so often part of that sustainability effort doesn't include the actual people involved. And I've said it before, I'll say it again, you know, tradition is often a disguise or like preserving tradition is a disguise for preserving poverty. And I think if we can embrace things like this, and again, I'm not saying that I'm about to go out and drink Terramana or Sincoro or, or things like that, but I think intention means a lot. And I think if we can lean into people like yourself who we know give a shit about this and are willing to take the time to have a conversation about, hey, this is why this matters. And you did that with me and I will forever be grateful for it. Um, and I hope that that other people do it as well. So, uh, you know, we're we're about a little over an hour into this and typically we go into top stories and, and all that fun stuff. And um, we are going to do our dope follows because that is my favorite part of the part of the show. But um, but I do think it was really important to have this conversation and to get an understanding, hopefully the people who listen today, like have a better understanding of Sotol. And then for our diehards who maybe have been wanting to ask these questions and want to do this stuff, I hope this gives you a little bit of insight. And I'm sure Ricardo's open to more questioning as long as you're not a dick about it. So, um, uh, so I just want to say thank you because you've really changed my perspective on how I need to approach these things. You've humanized these spirits and making me reevaluate to not immediately jump on certain trends and certain criticisms and things like that. Like, don't get me wrong. There's still stuff out there that's, that is bullshit, but this isn't one of those projects. You do get a free scarf when you buy a bottle. Actually, I don't know about that, but um, no, <laughs> just, it's, I uh, went around the neck. Instead of it yeah, being a tax just, label, it should be a little. <laughs> but I, but I do want to, I do want to say thank you just for you know for being so open about it, and then um, you know not only just tonight, but in all the conversations that we've had before about this, and then you know it could have been very easy to get down into the mud with certain people uh, around the time of the announcement, and and you didn't, you just walked, you just walked out there with your dope ass mustache, and you just made people feel ridiculous for questioning your, you know your ethics and stuff. So I appreciate you, man. No, thanks so much for having me on the, uh, on the podcast. And I think it's important. I mean, it's important to be transparent. Um, uh, and everyone who wants to come visit, I mean, I would highly recommend uh, for them to come here uh, to Chihuahua. I mean, and that's what we need. We need development, man. I mean, we need uh, to set Chihuahua as a tourist destination. Um, that mark ourselves in the map, you know, that benefits so many families uh, who have restaurants, bars, hotels. Uh, I think that that for us uh, uh, is a win. I mean, like to, just to have people come here, not to talk about Noche Luna or Sotoleros, to talk about Sotol in general and saying like, okay, well, this is an excellent spirit, world-class uh, that lives a very unique moment moment when every everything's wild but tomorrow then we're gonna have so many farmers growing sotol plants in the desert which is a way more sustainable um crop than setting uh, the countries 
in, uh, in or pecan orchards, which consume a huge amount of water in the desert. So I think, I mean, that's what we, we need to be smarter about uh, um, this conversation in the sense that we this is what grows in the desert. This is a plant that will, won't have a, a lot of trouble being domesticated. And uh, I, I, I think uh, it has a bright, very, very bright future. So um, I, I'm, I'm very thankful for you being open. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I think we don't have all the answers, but we're surely um, walking in the right direction to get them. Uh, so I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm always open for conversation. I'm always open to questions. I'm always open to comments because I mean, uh, we're learning as we go. I mean, like we we're not. Uh, I I don't think there's someone who has walked this path yet, but we're around the best uh, people that could uh, walk the path. I mean, I think Don Lalo. He's been making sotol for at least 50, 55 years of his life. Um, So I think uh, we're we're in the right uh, company to to go go through all this. Yeah, I mean, I mean, think about that, right? Just the audacity of of anybody to tell somebody like Don Lalo, like you cannot make sotol for Lenny Kravitz, and it's just like shut the fuck up and get out of here. <laughs> um, so, all right, I think uh, again, thank you, thank you for all that. Let's go to the next section of this year podcast. You know who's dope? Them over there. Chris, we're on season five. Is that what you said earlier? We're on fucking season five. Season five, episode one, with my good friend Ricardo, one of the dopest people I know. So there's no one else that we should be talking about dope people than with a dope person. We're going to get into our dope follows, my favorite section of the show, where we tell you who you should check out who you should be listening to, what books you should be reading, what movies you should be watching. So with all that said, Ricardo, do you have a dope follow that people should check out? Uh, on books, uh, I've been reading this very cool book. I have it. I happen to have it right here. Uh, bought it from Pedro Jimenez at Mesonte. Uh, it's Ooh. called... En Viña Cerrada no entran moscas. I'll... Just rolls right off the tongue. Is what that is. <laughs> well, I'll, 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 I'll text you the, the name of it. it I mean, it's in, in Spanish. <laughs> it's by uh, Jose de Jesus Hernández, a researcher at uh, El Colegio de, de Michoacán. And, uh, it, it's, uh, and in these times, I think it's perfect because... Um, It talks about denominations of origin from the perspective of um, of the Bordeaux region, and he goes through what Bordeaux uh, as a region was, and then ended up turning into. And uh, I think I don't know. It's it's fascinating because the the more you learn and the more you read, the more complex that it is to visualize or to capture. Uh, what is pure, what is not, and yeah. what, and if something new that comes along will be pure or not, and if this other thing, this other new thing that came out, actually kept 
or or was the one that uh, made possible for the small one pure to prevail. So it's, I mean, it's it's just fascinating how uh, uh, these things work. But I think we have to be very open minded, but also constantly be looking for new perspectives and uh, and just continue learning and remain humble. I guess. I love it. I love it. Um, all right. So I mean, again, as soon as I finish my Spanish classes, I'll, uh, I'll obviously start reading very complex educational books. That's like the, that's the logical next step, I believe. Uh, if I remember my professor saying that last week. Um, so I have two, I have two for you guys. I'm going to do a book as well. Um, the first, the first one is from Robert Evans. It's a, a brief history of vice. And basically he talks about, um, the different vices throughout human history and how they shaped us. Um, there obviously is a hard copy, but there's also an audible version of it. So if you need a good listen, um, I've really enjoyed it so far. Uh, just kind of talking about how things like drinking, gambling, uh, obsession over celebrities or obsession of religion has shaped and reshaped, uh, throughout, throughout our entire civilization. And then, uh, my second one is an Instagram account. And it's a relatively small account, but I, I have to assume that's going to get very big very soon. Um, and that's uh, Rum Revival, which first, like, like how the hell does that happen? How does this person get this Instagram account, which I, I feel like is late in the game, but whatever. Um, this is uh, Arminder Randhawa, which I probably butchered that, but I'm going to say Arminder for her first name. Uh, he is putting together uh, reels of breakdowns of rum distilleries and categories and thing of that. Uh, I am notorious for being extremely irritated by counts like this historically um, because I just feel like there's things that are always missed and just things that get glossed over. Uh, and so far I really like his content. I think he's putting out really good digestible things. I think he's growing the audience of rum Um and even if he's not, he's got a fan in me. So, uh, so check out Rum Revival on Instagram. He's like I said, he's doing some, he's doing some really really cool stuff. Uh, Chris, who is your dope follow this week? I as well have two. On the Lenny Kravitz tip, go watch Shotgun Wedding. It is silly. It's fun. I'm assuming that that is the movie he was filming when when y'all sent him uh, the bottle of Sotol, which just makes that movie that much more entertaining to watch. Is that the uh, is that the summer. Amazon movie with with Josh Jamal and Jennifer Lopez? Okay, all right. And those those were yeah. part of the cast that he tasted on on the first bottles of uh, of what later became Noteluna. Look at that. That's amazing. So go watch that movie. Understand that that sort of uh, that Easter egg of a backstory. That's fun. Uh, and then I've got something also pretty silly. I've needed it over these last uh, few months, getting through the holidays, all the stress, everything like that. Uh, it's an Instagram account called Unnecessary Inventions. Uh, it is this cat who has uh, uh, an entire production facility at his at his whim. So he just creates outrageous inventions to do silly, silly things. And it's just, it's a fun, it's a fun watch. It's just like, it's entertaining for hours just to go through and see the silly things that this guy creates and how he creates them and why he creates them. 
lots of 3d printers lots of molds lots of uh uh silly tech in there i love it the music for the good bottle podcast is orchestrated by the Moore brothers and produced awkwardly by us two guys before we go kill these bottles we've been drinking we ask that if you've enjoyed today's episode please subscribe and leave us a five-star review you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Good Bottle Podcast. You can also support the podcast by donating to us and really just following us. If you would like for us to cover a story or if you're working on a brand that would like to be featured, please email us at thegoodbottlepodcast at gmail.com. And as a reminder, you can purchase the bottles that we drank on this podcast at thegoodbottleshop.com once it is relaunched. Until next time. Cheers.